it's sitting with that discomfort. And it is, you know, to the point of Sabrina named about the burnout, like it does feel shitty when we can't, we, we can't help a survivor how we want to, or how they, even how they want to, um, if when they call us or reach out to us, we can be this person who is going to be like one of the first people who isn't going to judge them because they're still in their situation, for example, in their relationship. You're listening to the Woman Inc. podcast. Woman Inc. is a San Francisco-based nonprofit that has been serving the city in the larger Bay Area since 1978. We support survivors of domestic violence and their loved ones along their healing journeys, bridging value-rich networks designed to address intersections of violence. Sabrina, do you want to say a little bit more about who you are? Sure. So I'm Sabrina, and I've been with Women Inc. coming up on five years. Um, To be honest, I don't know that I really planned on being with Women Inc. this long. At the time, I was just looking for some sort of meeting and healing and decided to do the training. Um, And at the time, I don't think I really understood what that would mean to me. Um, And that was in summer of 2016. I didn't expect to be here five years late, almost five years later. And now I am the support line manager. And basically, um, I work very closely with Mary. And we live, eat and breathe everything support line, we make sure (laughs) um, that you know, the support line is up and running and that the survivors and our advocates answering the lines have the support that they need to do. My name is Mary. Um, I have been with Woman Inc. since February of 2008, but like, yeah, I basically have grown up at Woman Inc. So I started as a volunteer, as a support line volunteer, and moved my way through different titles, but my main focus has always been the support line, 24-hour support line program, um, I, in my current role as uh, the associate director, I still oversee the program and I work, as Sabrina said, work closely with her um, when it comes to training our volunteers and our paid advocates. I also uh, work closely with Jill, our executive director, on the back end um, of making sure our small but mighty organization is running smoothly. And also because our our Woman Inc. is so small, we all do direct service. Something, Sabrina, I was hoping that we can share a fun fact about this, but I didn't hear one from Sabrina. So I'm gonna <laughs> go back to her after I share mine. It's not really fun, actually. It's not fun at all. But one thing during this pandemic um, is I have purchased, purchased, purchased so many books, but have only read one. There's like maybe a few pages of each book, but that's it. Like, what the hell? Sabrina, did you think, did you think of one? 
Oh, Mary, you just had to put me on the spot. Also, your introduction was way better than mine. <laughs> but that's about? okay. About? This is hmm, better. Fun fact. <laughs> no, I always get stuck on this fun fact. I never feel like I have one. Um, ooh, I have a fun fact, kind of. Not really that fun. But I had a favorite pillow, and it was like 25 years old. <laughs> It was really hard to get rid of and I showed it to everyone during staff meeting and they told me I needed to get rid of it and I finally splurged and bought myself a really good pillow and a mattress topper and it has been life-saving. <laughs> yes all for yes to all the bedding oh my gosh and we we did kind of shame her when we saw her pillow. Sweet. <laughs> I'm glad you're buying all the bedding stuff because all of that stuff is really important, especially when we're all sleeping probably like crap now. <laughs> um, yeah, it's made a big difference. It really has. I'm like, oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like. <laughs> <laughs> Yay for new beds and new bedding, all the stuff and for good sleep. Okay, now getting to... Um, what we're going to be talking about today or during this podcast so fancy we're so fancy um we are so today sabrina and i are going to be talking about the role of the womaning advocate the survivor advocate a peer counselor and we're going to be taking a deeper <clears throat> look into why it's important for us working with survivors of domestic violence to be helpers rather than fixers. And what does that even mean, right? What does that mean? Um, we're gonna break, don't worry, we're gonna break that down for you. We're not gonna use all this language and be like, okay, I'm, what? Um, <laughs> I think it's, it's also fair to say that this doesn't only apply to womaning advocates. This actually can be really helpful information for anyone who has a loved one, a coworker, someone in the community who is experiencing domestic violence. Um, these are, you know, some helpful tips and just like some background knowledge. Um, anything like overarching, Sabrina, you want to add to that? Um, I think I think you said too how you know this doesn't only apply to women ink advocates and I think that is important to mention too is although we're talking about this you know mainly um, in context with domestic violence it's a helpful it's just kind of a helpful thing to think about in general you know living in a world where often we are very solution driven and always looking to fix a problem. So even if it, I think you could just relate this to a lot of parts of people's lives, um, just realizing what's in our control and what is not and using like the principles behind it. Um, so. <laughs> Damn it. Before we get into, you know, breaking helper versus fixer down a little more, uh, I think we should talk a little bit first about what is the role, you know, starting at womaning, 
what is the role of a survivor advocate or a peer counselor or, you know, let's start there. Um, what our expectations are when folks enter, come to Woman Inc. to work with survivors, to volunteer with survivor, to volunteer at the organization. It's something that Sabrina and I went through. Most of the, I guess Sabrina, when I refer to them as survivor advocates, um, most of our survivor advocates are volunteers that completed the 40 hours of domestic violence training in our support line clinic. And um, they, our biggest need <laughs> at the organization for volunteers is, is our support line program. Um, we, I think because we have, you know, the tw the support line is 24 hours a day, that is 32 shifts that mostly Sabrina has to find coverage for. Um, I like went back and counted actually all the shifts. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm impressed that you know that number because I did not know it was 32 shifts. <laughs> it oh, just seems like a lot. <laughs> I only know because when we were um, when we were starting that, that with the new phone system, I needed to know how many shifts there were. So that's how I know. So yeah, it's 32 shifts. It's a lot of people. And it's like some of the shifts we have double coverage. So it's like there's a lot of coordination there. And um, and anyway. So these are folks coming into the organization to work on a support line and, you know, cover their four, eight hour shift, um, answering all incoming support line calls. And um, just a little bit about, just to say a little bit about the support line, it is known as one of San Francisco's domestic violence support lines our crisis hotlines, whatever you want to call it. Um, we, not only do we answer our own calls, we also answer, I think it's five other domestic violence organizations hotlines during different times of the week. So we collaborate a lot with other partners. Yes, okay, I think you covered like the logistics of it okay that's our support line if anyone listening does need just to do a quick plug does need to talk to someone and get support um feel free to um if you're a survivor of domestic violence feel free to call our line and um 24 hours a day it's 415-864-4722 also to add to that you don't only have to be a side of survivor but if you are a family or friend of a survivor and um, you also need support we help with that as well. So going back to the survivor advocates the our volunteers and paid advocates they when they first are interested in joining Woman Inc um, these are folks who are aligned with our values um, we actually have them review our cultural praxis, which is basically means our values and how we put them into practice. And um, so it's really important that there is that alignment there because there's 
if you have a chance to, I think, listen to one of the previous podcasts, uh, Jill and Shana do talk about our cultural praxis. And um, that's just like, it's really important to us. One other important, I think, key thing is many of the people doing this work are survivor advocates and staff and just in the field are survivors themselves. So there's like, you already have, you know, a lot of folks already have skin in the game on some level. When we're talking about the role, like, okay, we, what are they, what are our advocates, like how do they approach the work? How do they work with survivors? And so um, typically like we center the survivor that we're working with. We say a lot that survivors are the experts of their situation and because, you know, when we're working with them or talking with them on the line, we're getting a piece of their story and it's, um, you know, and they know everything that's going on. They know, you know, at least for them and their situation. So it's like, when, who are we to tell them what to do when they know that they have those resources, at least like internal resources and what they know best, what they know is safest to do next. Um, and we also, when we're training folks, we tell our folks that we meet survivors where they're at and not physically, <laughs> like not literally go meet them where they're at, but meet, meet them where they're at, um, knowing that survivors are always at different stages in their situation. So we have, we talk to a lot of folks who are uh, currently, you know, still in the relationship where, with the person using abuse um, some are contemplating leaving, some have just left, and in some it has been years that they've been in a domestic violence relationship, in a, in a relationship where there was someone with someone, use, um, a person using abuse. I think we can also just add to that too, how you were um, saying, you know, something that we say a lot is um, the survivors are the expert of their own situation which kind of goes into this whole conversation and our whole point of talking about the helper versus fixer. Um, and it's also really helpful because as we said, we do get calls from not only survivors themselves, but also their friends and family. And for a lot of people, that's a, a really hard concept to, to understand if you have not been through DV yourself or like the reasons why someone may or may not stay. Um, and so um, just, I guess remember, remembering that is, is really something that we instill into our advocates um, is just to meet the survivor where they're at and also use that as an education piece. Um, when we do get callers who are loved ones just trying to help out. I guess my point of that was, was being that like part of our role as an advocate is also um, an education piece as well. Oh yeah, there's, yeah, it's not like an education piece where it's like, I mean, you know, the, we are gatekeepers, meaning like we have access and we can see what information, well, we have access to a lot of resources, like, you know, who is out there, like what, or what help is out there. And also, um, and we, as gatekeepers, 
we determine like, you know, who gets to see that information, but in, we try to, while being mindful of that, it's like, we do it in a way that it goes back to meeting survivors where they're at. It's like, I, um, and really listening to the survivor. So it's like, I'm not going to give the survivor 30 numbers to call when I can like hear them, hear what they're needing, what are those most pressing, you know, what's coming up for them, what's more of a priority that's coming up for them that they need support with or need help with. Um, I'm going to tailor like, you know, what information I share with them that also is education based on what their need is. And um, so all that being said, it's like, Yes, we're gatekeepers and we're really, we try to be mindful of like, I guess, what does that mean for us and not abusing that um, power. All of us doing the work need to be mindful that DV, you might hear us say DV, which is domestic violence. So we're saying DV um, for short, just want to clear that up. Um, that DV is never the only thing going on for a survivor especially for folks who, for survivors who are also um, Black women or other women of color, if they're immigrants, if they're, um, they don't speak English, like, you know, there's always other issues that survivors are navigating. So it's like, we try our best to like, you know, tell our, when we're training folks to just, that's something to be mindful of. Um, and Sabrina, I'm wondering if you wanna go over those, um, the builders, like the five builders that are there? Yeah. Yeah, so basically when we are you know, working with survivors, something that um, kind of comes up are things like that we call builders, which is, are things that is going to help the caller um because like again we're kind of talking about this in context of like helper first fixer and what exactly our role is as um, a survivor advocate and you know so some things that we like to hear when you know we are working with a survivor um is encouragement um asking open-ended questions getting to know what the survivor is calling for um we just want to encourage them to feel safe to share whatever you know they want to share. Another builder is affirming the survivor's right to autonomy without judgment. Um, so basically, kind of what that means is um, letting you know re realizing that they have their that they're entitled to feel how they feel, and they're you know they um, they're able to make whatever choice feels right for them. Um, so that could look something like saying, oh, that must have been a very difficult decision to make. Um, good for you for staying strong and seeing it through. Um, identifying emotions. Oftentimes when, you know, survivors are in crisis, it's really hard to put a definition on that emotion or what they're feeling. They might not even be sure what they're feeling. Um, so just validating a survivor's experience and 
um, letting them know that it's okay. You know, letting them know that you hear them. I hear that you're angry. I hear that you're upset right now. That's okay. Um, and it's just, it's just a way to make them feel like they're not alone um, and that they're being heard and that, you know, those emotions are valid. Um, often as, you know, someone who has survived an abusive relationship, they're not used to their feelings being validated or they're often told that their feelings aren't valid or they're acting crazy or, you know, they don't have a right to feel that way. That is part of the abuse. Um, so really validating them and letting them know that what they feel is valid is a huge part of it. Um, and then also another builder is just reframing it. Um, sometimes you have to reframe things and uh, allow them to, to see it in a different way. Um, you know, sometimes you can um, get stuck in a certain way of thinking. Um, you know, they can say something like, oh, I'm so dumb for staying in this relationship. I should have known better. I've, you know, been in this relationship for so long. It's my fault. Um, you know, there's a lot of guilt and a lot of shame that comes along with staying in these relationships. So, you know, sometimes reframing that for a survivor can be really helpful. So instead of that, say, wow, you know, in, I, I hear that you've been in this relationship for, for a while. That must have took a lot of strength to get through. You must be very resilient um, to be able to navigate um, all that has been thrown at you. Um, you've done what you needed to do to stay safe. Um, that's the other thing, just acknowledging, you know, what it takes to stay safe in an abusive relationship and knowing that there are many reasons, you know, someone does stay and often a big reason is for their own safety. Um, and just knowing that it's okay. It's, you know, meeting them where they're at. Like Mary said earlier, it's really about meeting them where they're at and um, reminding them to meet their shelves, meet themselves where they're at as well, reminding them that it's okay, that they haven't left just yet, and just reframing their thoughts and turning them from, you know, these negative feelings about themselves and this guilt and shame um, and turning it into something, you know, turning it into a way that they can see themselves as powerful, as, you know, survivors, as doing what they had to do to survive. When we're training our folks um, just on principles of peer counseling and builders of peer, peer counseling, um, these are just five of the ones that we go over, you know, that encourage, affirm the survivor's right to autonomy without judgment, identifying emotions, validation, and reframe, huge. Um, these are like the common ones that we typically see like on every conversation. Um, but there are more, and what I wanted to say, especially about the the, the validation, like how far validating, um, so you know, validating someone's situation or them can go. And it, yeah, I was gonna say if you didn't say it, it's like it really can um, help with that isolation that survivors mm -hmm. feel so often. It's so often they feel alone that no one else is experiencing this and. Um, validating those experiences can really open, just open that door for them to like, what, what else is possible for them? So 
I actually think that you reminded me as you said that something yeah. that I, I did leave out with the validation piece. Um, I mean, this goes a little bit more into DV 101, which this is not about, but just there's a small little snippet, you know, um, one component of abuse that is often used is, is gaslighting. Um, and that's where validation often really comes in handy when a survivor, you know, if for those of you who don't know what gaslighting it is, it's when, you know, someone um, says something to make you feel crazy and make you question, you know, your, your own sanity or your own truths. Um, so sometimes validating someone's experience helps them realize that, you know, they're being gaslit and it's, it's the abuse, it's not them. Um, yeah, I think that that's really important um, to name that. And I know in the beginning, so we, um, our main topic is to say more about what helper versus fixer even means. And so I'm wondering, Sabrina, why it's more helpful to be a helper <laughs> rather than a fixer. Well, why don't we start there? Why, why do we, why do we need to talk about this? Yeah. Oh, such a loaded question. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, I mean, it's really important to talk about it, um, especially in our work, um, because of the things that we do here on the line. And also just with the reality of things, um, you know, I think we, I, I like, I, I like, I kind of touched on before. I think we live in a society that often is solution oriented, and you know, we are told that the only way to help someone is to fix their problem, and that they need a solution. And you know, often we feel obligated to provide them a solution. Um, but also, we have to be mindful of what we can do. Um, we have to be mindful of our own well-being as well, especially as, you know, um, advocates doing this work or family and friends who are trying to help their loved one navigate this situation. Um, I think it's important we talk about helping versus fixing because we need to understand um, what, what our role is, um, as, as an advocate, as a person of support, um, and some things that we often hear, um, when working on the line is, you know, lack of resources, lack of money, lack of shelter, um, you know, just different circumstances, you know, immigration, um, you know, not being able to get help in the language that someone needs, um, you know, just systems of oppression. I mean, so there's so many things that go into helping a survivor or there's so many obstacles when it comes to leaving a relationship. Um, and also, you know, the pandemic has intensified this. I mean, we already were working with such little resources as it is. Um, the truth is there is not as much resources out there as there is need. Um, and it's not easily accessible for all people either. Um, also keeping in mind that, you know, we live in a big city that may have 
some more resources or more organizations, but knowing that there are also, you know, more rural places out there that don't have any of these resources or any organizations that, you know, cater to survivors of domestic violence. Um, but it, it can be really hard as an advocate to be on this phone call and to be connecting with the survivor who's telling you their story and being very vulnerable with you. And, you know, as human beings, we often, you know, are very empathetic, but sometimes we want to take on their problems, you know, like I can fix this for you. This is, I let me, you know, let's solve this. Um, but the reality is, is that we can't always solve it. There, you know, there might not be a shelter for that person. There might not be, you know, something that we can do that's going to change the outcome of, you know, whatever it is they're looking for, housing, shelter, food, resources, whatever it may be. Um, and you can really get burned out um, from trying to always fix the problem. Um, and also, you know, on a, on a less, what's that word I'm looking for? I want to say technical level, but I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for, but on a less technical level, um, also realizing that survivors often don't need fixing, you know, they are resilient on their own and they might just need help realizing, you know, how resilient they are and, you know, meeting them where they're at and realizing that, you know, this is only a piece of their piece of their puzzle. The main thing is just realizing what we can do and what we can't do. And also realizing, you know, as a survivor who's calling the line, for example, they can be calling the line and this might be their like fifth call. You never know. They might have called tons of organizations before ours and often they get the runaround, you know? They get, oh, here's one resource, here's another resource, call them, call this person, they might be able to help. And it's so exhausting. And not only is it exhausting, but it kind of, you know, could break break someone down. You know, they can, they're already going through so much. And to constantly hear, oh, can't help you, try this person, um, it it could really discourage them. And I think often sometimes it's scary to be transparent or we want to feel like, you know, we can solve their problem or it might be scary to say, sorry, I, you know, I don't have a shelter for you. But I think often it's a lot more helpful when we are transparent with our survivors and let them know what we can do to help them. Um, and, some, and sometimes that looks, you know, that looks a little different on each call and depending on what the caller needs. But keeping in mind, I think, um, like especially when, when we first train, you know, when we do this training with um, our volunteers, um, something that could come up sometimes for new volunteers or new advocates is the want to give the resources because, you know, they're so eager to be able to see this person do well and get the shelter they need and get the help they need. So they're really eager to give these resources. And, you know, it's, it's not, a problem. I mean, we want we want our volunteers to, to give resources and to, you know, understand what, you know, help is out there. Um, but it's something that comes up a lot. Um, 
how eager it is to get to the resources and how often the peer counseling can be completely forgotten about. Um, and the reason that that happens is because usually, you know, they think that they're fixing the problem by giving the resources and it feels better to hang up a call um, knowing that you fixed the issue or that, you know, this person might have shelter. Um, but then we sometimes we have to reframe it as, is it really helping to give these resources that may or may not, you know, be helpful? So sometimes that can look like safety planning. Maybe we can't find them a shelter, but maybe we can, you know, come up with a plan that helps them make them feel self safer with where they're at. Or sometimes, you know, survivors might not, you know, be able to, to come up with a plan by themselves, not that they don't know, but maybe they're overwhelmed and they didn't think of it. They have so much, you know, on their plate, but really working with them and allowing them to see and validating their experience and, you know, just kind of brainstorming and figuring out what it is that they can do to help themselves. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess why it's so important to talk about helper versus fixer is just so that people realize, you know, what our role is um, as a survivor advocate. And, you know, just knowing that we're all doing the best that we can um, to help. And as much as we want to fix the situations, that's not always possible. For folks, work, for those of us working with survivors, um, whether it's like working on someone working on the support lane or in person or in support group um, or in the Latinx program, um it it is like you said like it's much easier it's quicker it's like a quick fix to give someone a resource and sometimes though that's what is needed in that moment sometimes it is like someone calling their line and they're um and um they know what they want and so it is it can be as easy as giving them this resource but a lot of times most of the time <laughs> is like it's harder for us to be uncomfortable and like with, um, cause you know, a very common question that I hear a lot from every cycle of volunteers that went through training is like, um, what do we tell survivors when there's like nothing available, when there's no um, number, there's no one that can help them with transportation or with somewhere safe to stay. Like, what are we supposed to tell them? And that's where it's like, that's where I just said that twice. Um, this piece about being a helper really um, is going to be helpful because instead we, our role can be more like going back to what Sabrina was saying about brainstorming, like who, who's in their network, who's in their circles, like who, Maybe we can help them make connections um, or even just hear them out and be a sounding board for them. It's sitting with that discomfort. And yes. it is, you know, to the point of Sabrina named about the burnout, like it does feel shitty when we can't, we, we can't help a survivor how we want to or how they, even how they want to. Um, it, and sometimes I just remember a really quick story of a, I'm not going to give any names, but there's um, one of our volunteers had 
somehow like a success, like what does success mean or something? And one of, um, there was someone who like their definition of success, like what was it? Oh, a successful call, support line call. Um, it was a little surprising to hear because the way that they defined what a successful call was, was um, it was just helping them get into this like this program. I can see that's definitely successful. That's a great call. And it's also, there are other, there's like a thousand other ways a call or a interaction can be really su successful. And that's like someone just being, just hearing someone and not providing any bias or any judgment because they already, survivors already get that in their own lives. And if, when they call us or reach out to us, we can be this person who is gonna be like one of the first people who isn't gonna judge them because they're still in their situation, for example, in their relationship. Sabrina just told us why we need to talk about it just basically being more helpful to be a helper <laughs> rather than a fixer. So I'm wondering, because um, we keep throwing around helper versus fixer, Sabrina, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you mind breaking it down? Great. What does helper versus fixer even mean? Like, what does that even mean? Yeah, good question. <laughs> um, I mean, basically, when we're talking about a helper versus fixer, um, when we think of a helper, we think of someone who is listening. We think of someone who is validating, who's able to reframe, who's able to educate. Um, basically, we're looking for a helper, someone looking to build a connection with the survivor, um, and they're providing emotional support. Um, and they're just, you know, being helpful and, you know, brainstorming with, with the survivor. Um, whereas a fixer is someone who is trying to give advice, um, trying to give out resources or referrals um, so that it, it, it can solve the problem. Um, but also, you know, realizing that those resources might not be effective or helpful to the client. Um, so yeah, I mean, it be basically helper versus fixer is someone who is encouraging the survivor, um, who is supporting them, who is helping them come up with a plan, whereas a fixer is giving them a solution that they think the person needs. Um, yeah, and so I guess ways to be a helper or, you know, kind of the principles of being a helper is first off, believing the survivor. Um, I mean, that's the biggest thing. Often, you know, survivors can be told, you know, that they're crazy or that it didn't happen or they are made to believe that their reality somehow is wrong or you know not true or didn't happen the way that they remembered um so something that's really important in working with survivors is simply to believe them um also one of the 
harder concepts, I think, for some people to grasp, including myself. And I, I will, you know, be transparent in saying that I really struggled with this concept. And I, I know I'm not the only one. Um, it is condemning the abuse, not the person using abuse. And you're like, what? <laughs> what do you mean we can't condemn the person using abuse? That person is awful. And I know that's what a lot of you might be thinking. Um, and I too, I, I felt that way too. Like, that's crazy. Why would I not condemn the, you know, the person? Um, but the truth is, is it's so much more complex than, you know, saying someone is just a shitty person or they're a horrible person and, you know, they're bad and that person doesn't deserve your love which is often what the survivor hears from fam family and friends. And it's well-intentioned and, well, often well-intentioned. Um, and, you know, it is, somehow people think that that's gonna be helpful to, you know, be like, well, that name all the bad qualities of, of a person who's using abuse, um, but it, it often isn't. Um, the reality is there is a connection formed between people, um, whether there was abuse in the relationship or not, there has often been connection. There's often love. Um, there's all these emotions that, you know, you know, come along with a relationship, healthy, unhealthy, abusive, not abusive, you know, it's, it's all complex and recognizing that you can still love somebody and not want to be with them or not love what they do to you um, is important. And it's also important not to shame a survivor for feeling these things. I mean, all emotions are valid, whether we understand them or not, um, they're valid. And to constantly tear down a person that someone loves, even if they are abusive, um, can really produce a lot of shame for the survivor that they already are probably feeling regardless. And, you know, they often kind of wonder what, what, what is wrong with me that I love this person who is, you know, terrible, horrible, you know. And so it really is about reminding ourselves that it's, it's not a black and white situation. It's not simple. And we can't just say the person is a terrible person um, and that, you know, they shouldn't be with them. We have to condemn what they're doing instead, you know. Wow, you don't deserve to be hit. You don't deserve to be yelled at or degraded. Um, so using words like that or, you know, phrases, you know, telling, you know, suggestion like, oh, you don't deserve that. You don't deserve this and making it more about the behavior as instead of, oh, you don't deserve that person who is horrible to you. Um, it, that's not helpful. Um, so yeah, sorry, I kind of went off on that one a little bit, but it's just, <laughs> I know it's one of those things that like, especially for people who are not doing the work um, can be really hard to grasp that concept. Um, some other things that you wanna keep in mind when you are helping survivors is expressing a concern for their safety. Um, you know, we never wanna tell someone that they have to do something or that they have to leave or that they should do this or should do that but also reminding them that you know you're worried for their safety 
asking them what safety looks like to them, coming up, you know, maybe with a plan to keep them more safe, even if that is, you know, um, often when we talk about safety plan, you know, everyone's like, safety plan, you mean leave, right? <laughs> so just leave, get out, That that's what <laughs> will make you more safe. Um, but sometimes it's, it could look like, okay, well, you know, if, what, is there a room that you feel more safe in in your house that doesn't have, you know, weapons in? Is there someone that you can call if something gets out of hand? Um, do you have a, you know, do you have a first aid kit? Do you, I mean, just, just little tangible things that, you know, um, can be done even if they decide not to leave um, can, can be helpful and just expressing that you're concerned for their safety. Um, and then also just kind of respecting the survivor and their oh. right to, oh. Hold on, can I just add something? Yeah, go for point? it. Um, the, you know, focusing on the words like express your concerns because something I forgot to say in the beginning, like what is the role of um, our survivor advocates or us too, you know, is mm -hmm. like that we don't give advice. Um, we would never, you know, I think I kind of mentioned this. We don't, we're not going to tell a survivor what to do. We're not going to tell their, their family or friend, um, who calls like what to do. We can provide them with education. We can provide them with options. Um, but we're never going to be like, you should call the police. You should, you should leave. Um, because again, like we, we don't know the whole situation we don't know, like potentially what is unsafe for them to, you know, do certain things or what they're not comfortable doing. So, um, instead we say, you know, we can say like, like, as Serena said, like, I'm worried for your safety or I'm concerned for your safety. I'm concerned because you don't have anywhere to sleep tonight or something, you know, um, I just want to, at that point, no, yeah. we, we don't advise. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. I think that's a really good point um, and important to bring up. Um, and also knowing too, that sometimes you will get a caller that will ask you, what do I do? Yep. Um, and that's when you really have to kind of stand your ground and explain, you know, as much as I wish I could have a solution for you, the reality is I can't solve your problem, um, but I'm here to support you. I'm here to listen. You know, what is what would make you feel safe? What, you know, how can I help? What do you need? Um, so kind of, you know, reframing it and asking, you know, getting them to, to really think and to really brainstorm about what they, what it might look like for them um, to stay safe. Um, something that we had mentioned earlier too is just um, respecting that the survivors are the expert of their own situation. You know, meaning they, we don't know their whole story. We don't know what is right for them. Um, we can't tell them what is, you know, the right choice or, or how that they how they should go about something because the truth is we are only getting such a small piece of their story um, and it's not our job or you know or helpful to tell them otherwise or you know tell them that we know better because we don't we don't know their entire situation and 
most survivors are just doing whatever that they, they have to do to survive. Um, also letting the survivor decide their own pace um, for change. Um, often, you know, we get people who are calling who aren't ready to leave um, and that's okay. And, you know, meeting them where they're at and not, you know, encouraging them to leave if that's not where they want, what they want um, is more helpful and also builds um, a bit of trust too um, to if, if you're meeting them where they're at instead of being like, oh, you should just leave. Um, they'll trust you a little more. They'll be able to open up. Um, I know, you know, that is one thing unique to Woman Inc. is that we are not a shelter. Um, and sometimes I think it's help, you know, when someone's calling a shelter often, or, you know, an, an organization is a shelter, sometimes it's, it's that race to like get a shelter, get a place to stay, and they have to have that mindset of wanting to leave. And something that, you know, is unique to Woman Inc. is because we are not a shelter and we're not screaming for shelter. We do have that ability to, you know, meet someone where they're at and let them know that it's okay if they're not ready to leave, um, that we're here to support them, whatever that may mean to them. Um, and just knowing that it's, it, it takes time and the timeline is different for everybody. And, you know, it's up to them when and if they decide to leave, um, which is something also that I, I emphasize when I get callers who are loved ones um, of survivors, because often that's like the biggest, the biggest question on the phone is, well, how do I get them to leave? <laughs> how, you know, I need my sister, my mother, my friend, brother, you know, I need them to leave. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is, usually I honestly feel like that sometimes is one of the hardest calls to get because you know you want to empathize with them and you get where they're coming from of course you never want to see your loved one in this situation where they are getting hurt but also this is where you know kind of the education piece comes in and you know letting them know how domestic violence works and how complicated it is and how it's not always just as easy as packing a bag and leaving, how there, there's a lot of planning that often goes into it. Um, and also that they have to be ready. They have to be ready and they have to want to leave um, before they can. So really just letting the survivor um, decide their own pace. Something else that's important when we are trying to um, be a helper and you know a survivor advocate is respecting the cultural values um, and beliefs of the survivor, um, you know, keeping in mind and being mindful that um, cultural influences, you know, can play a, a huge role in someone's decision to stay. And then, you know, and one of the last principles is just understanding the dynamics of domestic violence. As you know, I've said many times during this podcast, um, you know, it, it one, it looks different for everybody um, and just understanding the complexity of it um, and how complexity it, it is and all the things that go into 
leaving or staying in a relationship and you know all the feelings that come along with it um, and understanding how it's a cycle and you know for some people they can get caught in the cycle and it's not always um, it's not always, sometimes you get callers who don't even, are calling because they're just recognizing that they are part of domestic violence. They might not ha even know it. Um, you know, sometimes you'll get people who call the line and ask, well, I mean, I don't know if, sometimes you'll get people who are literally saying, well, I don't know if I should be calling because I, you know, I don't know if this is serious enough or, you know, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Um, and so really validating their experience and explaining how domestic violence works and what the cycle looks like and how complex it is. Is there any you know, takeaways from here for not only survivor advocates, but also just anyone in the community who, who's trying to help a friend out or a family member out is just like, know that, um, dynamics of domestic violence like just thinking about what is domestic violence and you know it's not one individual act but it's a pattern of um, behaviors meant to gain and then maintain power and control over another person so really just like that's like key part about what domestic violence is like it's a pattern and there's like power control power and controls in the middle and that's what's like just like everything else is like just like falls under the power and control in that pattern. And so even if you aren't a survivor advocate, someone, what's the pattern here? <laughs> like whose life is smaller as a result of behaviors um, from the other person or, you know, from one person? Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think it's important to understand how domestic violence works um, because then you understand I guess the complexity of it or how it can look and then in doing so um instead of offering solutions or you know trying to to give advice um you could realize that it's that's not really our role our role is, is to help and to support some other things that really tie that are tied to um the fixing part um and fixing nature of what we want to do because it does feel easier sometimes to go that way, that route. Um, and these are things that, again, we go over training when we're training folks, um, but these are things not to do, try to avoid. Uh, we wanna avoid giving solutions or advice. We talked about that. We don't give advice, so check. Um, instructing. So this is another way of telling someone what to do or you know how it should be done. Think of like instructions you get for setting up a computer or something. It's like, again, who we are not, the survivor is the one who knows like what's going on. They know their story. They know what, you know, what's gonna trigger what, what's unsafe for them. Um, so we wanna reframe from instructing um, and then this is, I mean, we, we use this a lot. So we, at, when we're working with survivors, we ask open-ended open -ended questions. Um, well, and it's usually because we, um, if we want them to share more about what's, what's going on 
if they're comfortable, we will ask, like, we'll say, like, can you, do you, are you open to telling me a little bit more? On the other side of that, as a blocker, like, if asking those close-ended questions are, like, that end in yes and no, um, that's not super helpful if, like, we're trying to get gather a little more information um, to then, you know, figure out how we're going to move the conversation. Um, so closed-ended questions don't help for the conversation, basically. It's harder to build that trust if we're asking, like, questions that or answers are going to end yes or no. Another was in, in, um, another blocker is interrogating. Um, like a follow-up question is like, why do we need to know the details? Like how, um, like the details about like what basically the play-by-play, -play, um, we don't need to know that as like survivor advocates, unless it's like, it can be helpful based on what is the next step that they need, you know, support with. Um, Oftentimes we are curious beings and we want to know, okay, like what happened next? And if it's not honestly gonna, why do I need to know this extra bit, like all the deep, all the details, if it's like not really gonna help the situation, am I asking because I'm curious or is it because it might actually help with like a resource or something that can be the next step in, um, supporting the person, if that makes sense. This comes up so often in um, when we're working with, when folks are new to this work, <laughs> um, it's the quick reassurance. So often it's when we're, whether we're really nervous or we're new or like, we just don't know what to say. I mean, this still happens when, um, it can be someone who's been working with survivors for a long time. The quick reassurances are like, the survivor says something, they tell you just like, you know, what's going on and you may not know what to say in the moment. So you might say, you might fill that space with, I'm sorry that this has happened to you. All right, no, I also, I understand. And we honestly get the intention behind that, <laughs> but you, just like one thing to be mindful of that of when you say I understand is you might get someone who asks, do you? <laughs> like, do you, do you really understand? You know, so these are just things that, again, they come up when out of nervousness, out of like filling that space and it's okay for us to, whether we're working or survivor advocates or we have a friend or family member going through DV is like, slow it down, like take it like baby steps, like um, it's okay for there to be silence. And some of that, sometimes it can be just like both of you taking a breath, <laughs> um, just slow it down. Um, and yeah, those are all tied to fixing the situation. So we wanna try to avoid those and I'm, I'm wondering, because as we come to a close on the topic of helper versus fixer, I'm wondering, wondering, Sabrina, if there's anything else you want to throw out there about this topic. Um, yeah. 
Um, I guess I one thing I wanted to come back to a little bit was when you were talking about, you know, not interrogating um, the survivor. Um, I guess something that comes to mind um, when I think about this is another reason to, to avoid interrogating or asking unnecessary questions um, is because survivors are often, especially if, you know, if they're going through any sort of system, um, whether it be like the legal system or CPS or, you know, calling the cops or whatever the case may be, um, often they're interrogated and they are basically asked for proof of this violence. And so interrogating someone and asking them these questions could sometimes come off like they somehow need to prove to you that this abuse is real. Um, and that's the last thing that we want to do, especially just knowing how hard the how hard the system works against survivors sometimes and you know naming that it's not fair that survivors often have to prove their abuse um, if they want to you know have a case or you know whatever or, or get that help. Um, so I think it's really important that we never make them feel like they have to prove their their abuse to us and just letting them know that we believe them um, is really important. So yeah, I mean, that was just something that when you were talking about interrogation that kind of came up for me that I definitely wanted to touch on. Um, yeah, that's a... That's actually, that's really important to name. Thank you for naming that. And it's like a good, almost like closing out is just in general. If we were gonna sum all this up, it's like we, um, on the topic of how reverse fixer and how, how can we, can how all of us are natural helpers and like, how do we lean, lean into that more and be, like more effective and just like making sure that survivors are getting, are being heard, are being believed, are feeling validated and not feeling alone because, um, and just by, you know, doing some of these things that we went over, um, meeting them where they're at, listening to them. Um, and go back to my cheat sheet. Um, <laughs> just the validation and reframing and, um, that just, that can go a long way. Um, and I get, um, we get so often when loved ones reach out to us and they are, there's some frustration there because they want to, you know, of course they want the best for their loved one who's going through an abusive relationship. And maybe it's not happening at the pace that they would like to see the loved one. Um, but what are, totally lost my train of thought. Um, I don't know if this is exactly what you were like trying to get at, but when you had said, you know, that they're frustrated at, you know, the pace that it's going, I think at the core of it is just the fact that they do want to help um, their loved one. And just knowing that by being there for support is, is helpful in itself. 
that you don't have to fix a problem to be helpful. Um, you don't have to have all the answers for them to be helpful. And just letting them know that it's okay not to have all the answer. And what's gonna be the best help of all is just being there to listen or be there for support when and if the survivor asks or wants it and letting them know, you know, it might be today, it might be tomorrow, it might be years from now. Um, but just letting them know that you are there whenever they're ready. Um, whenever they're ready. And that was a perfect way to end this. 